The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. The summer before my ninth grade year in school, my family, my family and I moved from our home here in Lincoln to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I kind of played out my, my high school years. And this was a this is a really difficult transition for all of us, especially for the first few months. See, our, our house wouldn't be ready to move into until, I, I don't remember what it was, it was, it was a, it, at least a month or two. It wouldn't be ready for us to move into when we arrived in Sioux Falls. And so for a while, for this season, we lived in a two-room efficiency apartment. So basically, this was a tired, old motel, not a hotel, not that fancy, it was a motel, that was converted into apartments that you could rent on a month-to-month basis. And so there wasn't the, the obligation to step into any kind of lease. You paid by the month, and that's, that's how they operated. Now, I, I did say two-room apartment and not two-bedroom apartment, okay? And so don't get those two things mixed up. This was, this was a, a two-room apartment, There was a bathroom, room one, and there was a room, room two. (laughs) The room room served as my bedroom, my parents' bedroom. It served as our kitchen. It was also our living room. It was my, um, it was my, my, it was our den in our study. It was, it was everything uh, in our our uh, two-room efficiency apartment. Now, the really interesting thing about this season was that my, my dad, who was a, a, a career truck driver, he worked nights, which means that, guess what he did during the day? He had to sleep. And here's the thing about someone who drives for a living, um, sleep is kind of important, right? And so um, this means that my, my mom and I spent extended periods of time. We logged a lot of time sitting in a dark motel room with with the TV on. The TV on was okay, um, but the volume had to be turned up just loud enough to hear, but not so loud that it would disturb my dad. And, And here's what my mom and I did night after night. We would sit on the bed and we would cry. That's what we would do. Um, that's what we would do almost, almost daily for that first month or so that we were in this new place, uh, in this new city. You see, we, we desperately wanted to go back home. That's, that's what we wanted to do. Sioux Falls was not home. Lincoln was our home. And so we wanted to go um, back to our house and leave this apartment. We, we wanted to go back to our friends and the family that we left behind here in Lincoln. We had none of those in Sioux Falls. I wanted to go to the school that I knew, with the classmates that I had grown up with and that I, that I knew. I, I wanted to go to school in a school where I could find a lunch table full of familiar faces. We wanted to go away from this strange city to the city that we knew and loved. 
There's a word for this. We were, we were homesick, right? We were homesick. Now, if, if you remember last week, we began a new sermon series in the, the, the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, these are Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. Now, the Psalms of Ascent, this literally means the Psalms, uh, or the songs rather, of goings up. The songs of goings up. And when we describe the Psalms of Ascent, among other things, as a playlist for pilgrims. It's a, a playlist for pilgriming people of God as they navigate their faith journey and await the full and final fulfillment of God's promises. That's, that's the, the, the metaphorical purpose for these psalms. Now, the, the, the literal way that they were used at, at the time um, was probably to, to go uh, to make their, their trek back to Jerusalem for the three major feasts um, every year. But, but metaphorically, they, they served as Songs, a, a playlist of sorts for a long journey of faith. Today then, we cue up the first track in our playlist. And as we're going to see, it, it strikes a really somber tone. <laughs> and so if you're thinking about this, this phrase, songs of ascent, you, you, might accept something a little, you, you might expect something a little bit more uplifting, um, and yet here we are with this somber psalm of, of lament. And that's because the author of this particular song, much like my mother and I sitting in our efficiency apartment, though, though very different circumstances, it's because the author of this particular song is homesick too. And of course, then this serves as an appropriate beginning point for the songs of goings up. Before we can go up, brothers and sisters, we must first be brought low. And so that's what the first track in our playlist is going to do. It's going to prepare us for the journey. And it's going to, to bring us first to a low place. And, and we're going to see as we, as we make our way through this psalm, which is what we're going to do, first verse to the seventh verse, we're going to see the psalmist address three different audiences. In the first couple of verses, he's going to speak directly to the Lord. In the, the third and fourth verses, he's going to speak to his adversaries, to his enemies. And then finally, in the final three verses, he's going to speak to himself and recount the longings that he has in the midst of his distress. And so then let's, let's begin with the, the psalmist's words to the Lord. Now, again, what, what, what we have here is a psalm of lament. And, and we've noticed in the past as we've uh, preached through psalms of lament and, and worked through psalms of lament, we, we've noted that they almost always come with the statement of faith. A statement of faith of some sort that serves to anchor the psalmist to the holy character of God. And, and so this, this anchor is really important because as, as the psalmist is, is crying out to God in the midst of affliction and pain, their circumstances are unresolved. Right? Their, their pain, their suffering, their distress is unresolved. And so what we see the psalmist do in laments is they, they anchor themselves to the character of God. They anchor themselves to the promises of God. Often this statement of faith comes toward the end of 
a lament, but in this case, that's where the psalmist begins. In the first verse, he begins with a statement of faith. Listen to this again in Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 120, verse 1. He says, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now you'll notice that the first verse of the psalm is in the past tense, right? We have two completed actions, two, two actions that have taken place and are finished. I called, number one, and number two, he answered. Now, despite this, though, we see that the psalmist, we see the psalmist cry out for deliverance in verse 2, right, which, which is, is interesting. At, at no point in this psalm do we get any indication that he has received the deliverance for which he prays, even though in verse 1, I called, completed action, he answered, completed action. Now, we, we don't have a a lot of details in terms of the specific circumstances here, but it, it seems that there are a couple of likely scenarios that are, that are playing out in this psalm. Scenario number one, the psalmist is remembering the Lord's faithfulness to answer his cries for deliverance in the past. This probably isn't the first time that this author has cried out to the Lord for deliverance. He's, he's in exile. He's, he's away from his homeland, living in the midst of the nations, this is probably not the first time that he's called out. And in the past, the Lord has proven himself to be faithful. It's much like we see at the beginning of Psalm 4, when the psalmist says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Again, a past completed event. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And so in Psalm 4, perhaps like our psalm here, Psalm 120, we have the psalmist crying out to the Lord, re recounting the Lord's faithfulness in the past in an effort to anchor himself to the hope of God's faithfulness for distress present. It, it's essentially as if the psalmist is saying, in the past I've cried out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. Therefore, I trust that he will answer my cry of distress today. The second scenario is, is this, it, that our psalmist cried out to the Lord in the midst of his distress, cried out for deliverance, and received some kind of answer from the Lord, maybe by way of, of a prophet, he received an answer from the Lord that said, you will one day be delivered. But that full deliverance hasn't yet been carried out. We don't have enough information to know for sure. Either way, this is what we do know. The psalmist is reminding himself of the faithfulness of his God. This might, uh, this might be a a psalm of, of lament. He might be in the thick of distress and affliction and pain and suffering. He may or may not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. The when and the how of the resolution of it all is very much 
uncertain at this point. But there's one thing that is not uncertain. And if you're here today and you identify with these first two verses, you identify with the psalmist as he cries out to the Lord in the midst of affliction, as he cries out for deliverance. If, if, if you're not able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, if your circumstances are uncertain, there's one thing that is not uncertain for you either. And that one thing that is not up in the air is that our God is a faithful God. And even as, as we recounted in song this morning or in our, our reading of, of thanksgiving, He hears us when we call out to Him. He sees our affliction. He, he knows our pain and He will be faithful to deliver us in His good and perfect timing. And so what, what's the nature of the psalmist's distress? Well, there, there are two things specifically that he mentions. First, in verse 2, we see lying lips and deceitful tongues. Lying lips and deceitful tongues. And then secondly, at the end of the psalm, we see a violent and combative people who are against peace and for war. Deceit and violence. This is, this is the cocktail that our psalmist is dealing with at the time of, of the penning of this psalm. And, and, and look, as, as you read this, you might, you might think like I did. This, this, you might think, look, this doesn't, this doesn't sound unlike our own time and our own culture, does it? Deceit. Do you, do you find deceit anywhere in our culture? Think about the news. We have spin and bias. We have misinformation, disinformation, deinformation, uninformation, anti-information, and all the other kinds of, of information. They all abound. We have ads and marketing constantly being thrown into our face, and they, they're their intent is to lie and to deceive us, all in an effort to make us discontent so that we'll buy what they're selling. They peddle false promises to make us happy and content and fulfilled and safe and popular and good-looking and productive and influential and wealthy and fun and smart and marriable and less depressed Fill in the blank. These are the promises of the ads and the marketing that is in our face constantly. And they, they ultimately never deliver what they promise, do they? And there's politics and, and politicians, of course, often claiming to have the answers to all our problems while they lie or bend or, or spin the truth in order to make their opponents look bad so that they can get elected again and again, oftentimes making promises they have no intention of following through on. Look, we, we don't have to look out there, right, at, at, at media or, or politicians or marketing. We can, we can see deceit in the church, can't we? For example, consider the sex abuse cover-up scandals that we've seen in the news recently. And then we could, we could look at ourselves in the mirror. 
Then there are our very own Instagram and social media feeds where we virtue signal to keep up appearances, where we portray our lives and our families as clean and tidy, disciplined, happy and fun, beautiful and well-behaved. All the while, knowing that, that the reality is something that falls very short of that, and yet somehow we, we fail to document that on the feeds. Look, there's, there's deception everywhere, isn't there? Maybe it, it's a different kind or a different brand of deception than, than our psalmist experienced, but deception abounds nonetheless. And, and, and then, of course, there's violence. We, too, live in a violent world. There's war and violence at home, and there's war and violence abroad. Peaceful protesting seems to be a thing of the past. Look, it's, it's not all physical Violence either. Social media again, not to beat this drum too much today, but it's a cesspool of hate and aggression and personal attacks. Have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen social media feeds after a famous figure dies? After a politician, for example, dies? Have you ever seen the things that the folks from the other side say about the deceased party, um, if you haven't, don't. It's, it's disturbing. Um, everything is politicized. Everything is contentious. We don't invest time building real relationships with, with those with whom we disagree. And instead, what do we do? It's, it's seek and destroy. Seek and destroy. Objectify and destroy. And... Honestly, the, the list of topics that we can no longer talk about because it's going to veer into a, 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 a nasty and contentious political conversation, the, the list of topics that we can't address together is becoming long, so long. And so deception and violence, this these are the circumstances that our psalmist is dealing with. And brothers and sisters, if, if we're honest today, we would, we would just acknowledge the fact that there is, in fact, nothing new under the sun. And these, are, these are very real issues at play and circumstances at play in our lives as well. And so then that brings us to verses 3 and 4. Now, on the topic of, of deceit and, and violence, the, the Bible has a lot to say, in particular about deception. The, the book of Proverbs, for example, says this in Proverbs 25, a man who bears false witness about his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Keep that imagery in mind. A, a, a man who bears false witness, a man who is deceptive, a man who lies, he's like these things, a war club, a sword, a sharp arrow. And then in Proverbs 16, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. I wonder if these two verses from the book of Proverbs, I wonder if these two Proverbs aren't what the psalmist had in mind when he then shifts his audience 
to his enemies, to his adversaries. We see reference in verse 25, uh, or Proverbs 25, to a sharp arrow. In Proverbs 16, we see reference to a, a scorching fire. I think this helps us to make sense then of his words to his adversaries when he says this, what shall be given to you? He asks them, and, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? What, what's waiting for you, my enemies? And then he answers his own question, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. It's as if the psalmist is saying, ask and you shall receive. May, may it be returned on your own head as he forecasts their judgment. And, and that's exactly what he's doing here. The, the warrior's sharp arrows and, and burning coals are symbols of God's judgment. And in fact, the, the, um, if, if, if you're a little perplexed by the, the broom trees, I don't, I don't know that many of us have broom trees in our, in our backyards, uh, but, but broom trees are, are trees that were known to, to have wood that burned really long and really hot. That's what we need to know about broom trees. And so in my living room, we have a wood-burning fireplace. I love it. And uh, for the first like year of having this fireplace in our new home, we were burning wood that was ultimately kind of soft wood. I got it from an uncle, and, and the wood wasn't very hard. And so fire is hot, yes. But um, in year number two, I got wood from another source, and this was all hardwood. And let me tell you, the difference in the heat of the fires is very noticeable. While I could walk up to and, and stick my hands right up next to the, the softwood fire, when it comes time to, to shift logs around in a hardwood fire, um, just, just getting close to it sometimes burns my hands. This is like oven mitt territory. And so it's a, it's a hotter burning fire. It's a longer lasting fire. So what the psalmist is saying to his enemies here is that the, to oppose God and God's people as an enemy is to place yourself directly in the path of God's just judgment. I want to be careful to say this, his just judgment. There's a one-to-one -one relationship between their actions and God's judgment. Their deceptive tongues are like sharp arrows, and so sharp arrows of judgment they will receive. Their lying, plotting speech is like a scorching fire. And so, glowing coals of judgment they will receive. Coals that burn hot. And a fire that doesn't quickly go out. They refuse peace. And instead, they make war and sore. And so, the Lord will refuse peace with them. And instead... He will make war. Look, now, I, I know that the judgment of God isn't a popular topic. Certainly not a, a popular topic in our, in our cultural moment. But look, this is a, this is a topic that we, we can't skip over. We can't skim by. There are a few reasons I, I want to touch on. Uh, the first reason is this, that the, the judgment of God, just like our passage here today, the judgment of God is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. If, if the Scriptures talk about God's judgment, then we too must talk about 
God's judgment. We don't get to set the agenda here this morning. The Lord gets to set the agenda. The the all-sufficient word of the Lord sets our agenda. And this is why we like to preach through books of the Bible and not just topically all the time. Because if if you preach through books of the Bible, inevitably, you're going to have to touch on and address and preach on topics such as the judgment of God that are a little bit more difficult to to manage and a, a little bit less attractive to the culture and to the world around us. And so we, we address, we preach on the, the judgment of God because it's in the Bible. But secondly, because the, the judgment of God helps us to more fully understand the character of God. The judgment of God puts the character of God on display. So, so God is loving and gracious. Yes and amen. God is loving. God is gracious. gracious. But, but hear this. God is also holy. God is also set apart. God is also righteous. And God is also just. And these are aspects of the character of God that we can't fully understand, that we can't fully see, except for against the dark background of God's judgment. Thirdly, the judgment of God is necessary to make sense of the gospel. Look, without the judgment of God, the good news of the gospel is is kind of nonsensical. Have Have you ever thought about this? The gospel doesn't make sense without the judgment of God. If not for the judgment of God for sin, why would God send his one and only son to die an atoning death on a cross for sinners? It doesn't doesn't make sense of the free gift of God extended to us in the person and work of his son. And so the, the judgment of God is necessary to make sense of the gospel. And then finally, and and most relevantly for our passage here today, the judgment of God gives the hope of justice to those who suffer unjustly at the hands of evil people. Like our psalmist, for example. And look, I I know this topic isn't popular with, with our culture, but... Our culture does have a God-given appetite for and value for justice. It's just warped and distorted, but it's there. So-called cancel culture is evidence that we have a, a hardwired appetite for justice. How is it that a culture that is so tolerant and, and so um, set on kind of living your own truth and speaking your own truth, how is it that a culture such as this can be so intent on destroying the lives of those who don't embody and embrace its values. Cancel culture, brothers and sisters, is evidence of the fact that our world does have a sense of, of appetite for justice. Again, it's, it's warped, it's, it's distorted. I, I think I've told this story before. When I was sitting at Five Guys Burgers and Fries, um, just kind of uh, scrolling through Twitter a bit, killing time until my order is ready, and I started to, started to see um, breaking news pop up on Twitter that Osama bin Laden had been killed. And it was interesting. It, 
all political parties and persuasions, everyone was celebrating. Celebrating the death of this man. Why? Why were people dancing in the streets in front of the White House? Why? Republicans and Democrats and everyone in between, why? Because there was a hunger and a thirst for justice in the face of, of injustice. And so this, this justice, the just judgment of God, that the psalmist assures his adversaries that it is, in fact, coming for them. Well, that brings us to the final three verses. And now that the psalmist kind of turns inwardly and begins speaking to himself, he says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I... But when I speak, they are for war. What I want us to note here about the psalm is that it's not just deceit and violence that fuels his lament. His woe here in the final three verses has everything to do with place. Place. He, he mentions Meshach. This is uh, far north of the promised land. We see this referenced in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Ezekiel prophesies against Gog of the land of Magog, who he says is the chief prince of Meshach. And then Kedar, Kedar, which is the land of, of the Ishmaelites to the east. See, what, what we see is that the, the psalmist is sojourning in a strange land. He's, he's an alien. He's, he's an outsider. It's like he's sitting in his one-bedroom efficiency apartment in a strange town. He's desperately longing to go back home. He's living among strange, ungodly people with strange, ungodly values who worship strange pagan gods. He's not home. And, 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 and what's more, the people in this strange place mean to do him harm. And yet, just like my mom and I, when, when we were sitting in our apartment holding one another, which isn't necessarily like a super like, cool thing for a freshman in high school to do, right? But as we're sitting there holding one another and, and, and wishing away our current circumstances, the circumstances didn't change. We never did get to go back home. And that's true, that's true for our psalmist as well. You see that 
the psalmist has the assurance that judgment awaits his enemies. He feels very confident about that. I think, I think we can tell that from verses 3 and 4. He's, he's very confident that God's judgment awaits his enemies. Their, their violent and lying tongues will be judged by God. But his woe, his distress, is that he continues to live in their midst. He must continue to dwell among those who hate peace. He must continue to dwell among those who hate his God. He must continue to dwell among those who hate him. As he, he longs desperately to be elsewhere. He longs for home. Perhaps meditating upon the words of, the, of, of Isaiah the prophet longing for the peace that he prophesied about in Isaiah 2 when, he, when the prophet wrote, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. These are the promises that the Psalms of Ascent are meant to guide God's people to. Prophet continues, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. These are, these are words of peace. These are pictures of peace. Swords give way to plowshares. Spears give way to pruning, give, spears give way to pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this is the world, this is the home that the psalmist longs after. And yet, and yet he's far from that home, isn't he? He's a, a homesick pilgrim living in exile. And so quickly here, um, on a practical note, how do we how do you and I, because look, our reality is, is very much the same. We live on, on this side of Jesus' first advent, of Jesus' first coming. And yet, much like our psalmist, much like Isaiah anticipates in Isaiah chapter 2, we too are pilgrims, homesick pilgrims, longing for home. Longing for peace, longing for the, the promised return of Jesus and the new creation. So the question is, how do you and I continue to live in exile while we long to be at home? I think Romans 12, you can turn there in your Bibles. I think Romans 12 has some, some similar wording and phrasing as we see in our psalm. And I, I think gives us some insight. Three quick practical op observations I want to make. Number one, how do we continue to live in exile while we long for home? Number one, we live distinctly. We live distinctly. 
corporately. We are a, a, a called out, set apart people, and so we live as such. Verse 2 in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is a good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the world. Be set apart from the world. Be, be transformed into something that doesn't resemble the world, but, but resembles something altogether different. It's, it's really interesting. By the way, this isn't in the, the slides. Um, this is just, just extra. In, in verse 2 of Psalm 120, uh, again, the psalmist says, Deliver me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. In the psalm previous, in Psalm 119, in, in the closing verses, we get, a, 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 we get a, a lips and a tongue reference there as well. Psalm 119, uh, verse 171, he says, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. And there's this incredible contrast that's set up between Psalm 119 and the adversaries in Psalm 120. My lips pouring forth praise, their lips are lying lips. My tongue singing God's word, their tongue singing deception. There's a distinction that is made. We're to live as a distinct people. Back to Romans 12, Paul fleshes this out. What What does it mean to not be conformed to the world? He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. How do we know what's evil? God's word gives the definition for us. That's not ours to decide. God's word is sufficient for that task and and speaks authoritatively. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer constant independence, constant in crying out to the Lord, constant in making your woes and your distress made known to him. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is what it looks like, for example, to live distinct lives as God's people living in a strange land. Submitting to the authority of God and his word, living distinct lives, embracing kingdom values, living humble lives. How do we continue to live in exile while we long for home? Number one, we live distinctly. Number two, we live peaceably. We live peaceably. Verse 14 of Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. By the way, if, if, these, if these few verses, if we use these verses to guide our online um, behavior and, and, and engagement, I, I think we would do well. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In the sight of all. If possible, and so far it depends upon you. Listen to this. What a charge. What a challenge. 
So far as it depends on you, you can't control someone else's actions. You can't control someone else's heart. So far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on me, so far as it depends on the called out people of God, live peaceably with all. Now, look, this doesn't mean that we have to compromise truth. That's not what this means. This, this doesn't mean that we, that we accept or kind of bow to the values of the culture around us. It doesn't mean that we aren't courageous and bold. It doesn't mean that our courage and our, and our, and our boldness and our, our uh, proclamation of the gospel and the, and the truths of Scripture aren't abrasive to the culture around us. It doesn't mean that the culture around us won't hate us. And yet, this is, what, this is what Paul calls us to in this text. And so far as it depends on you or on me, we're to live peaceably with all. So what, is it, what does it look like to continue to live in exile while longing for home? Well, we live distinctly with an appetite for the things of God and not for the things of the world. We, we live peaceably so far as it depends on us, living, living in peace with those around us. And thirdly, we trust in the perfect judge. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap What's, the, what's the, the visual here? You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Burning coals of judgment. Burning coals of judgment. And so as we feed our enemies, as we give their thirsty mouths drink. We heap burning coals on their head. We can be assured that vengeance is our God's and he will pour out just judgment either on their head or should they turn in repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that the judgment due to them, just like the judgment due to you and to me, will be quenched by the sacrifice of the Son. And, and consider the Son as, as we wrap up this morning. Con consider, consider Jesus, who himself was betrayed by deceitful lips, was he not? This is, this is who we fix our eyes upon all the while. Our, our Savior, who was betrayed by deceitful lips, who was crucified by violent men. Jesus, the, the, the Prince of Peace, he, he did this to reconcile sinful, deceitful, violent men and women to God. And not just those, those nasty people out there, but, but all of us in here as well. He, he did this to reconcile sinful people to God, to make peace between God and man. And so, lastly, as, as we navigate 
this strange world as sojourners, as aliens, as, as exiles who are longing from home, we do so as ambassadors to the risen Christ. Paul elsewhere calls us ministers of reconciliation. Sojourners and aliens in a strange and hostile place, yes, but we're, we're ministers of reconciliation. And although we long to be home today, we are, until Jesus returns, we are his ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. And, and until he comes, it is your job and my job to exhort the nations. God makes his appeal through us. To all those in Meshach, to all those in Kadar, to all those in Lincoln, to all those around the world, our, the appeal that he makes through us is this, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Why? Because we know that one day Jesus will return to consummate his kingdom and usher in the new creation. And when he does, he will stand and judge of both the living and the dead. And, and Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Be encouraged. When that day comes, and it is coming, when that day comes, we will no longer be strangers. We will no longer be sojourners dwelling among those who love lies and are thirsty for war. But when that day comes, our homesickness will cease. It'll melt away because we will have finally arrived at home and we will finally and forever know peace. Let's pray. Father, your word is living, it's active. It's sharp. It's relevant. We don't have to work to make it so. It just is. And as we begin this journey through the Psalms of Ascent, we're met with this Psalm of Lament that in, in, in so many ways is, is reading our mail. Would we too, we long for home. In, in so many ways, we, we long for home. We long to be delivered from this place of sin and brokenness and violence and deception, of pain and suffering. And we long to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth. You as our God, we as your people. Father, will you, uh, will you build us up and sustain us for the long journey ahead as we await the return of our Lord, of our Savior. Lord, help us to be a people who live distinct lives, that have an appetite for the things of you and not for the things of this world. Lord, help us to, to be a peace, people who love peace and who trust in you as, the, as, our, as our great judge. And Father, we, we pray that you, that you would that you would one day soon bring a, a full and final fulfillment to your promise to come again. 
And until that day, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.